Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I'm so happy to be doing this podcast with you here tonight. How are you? Hello. Hello. I'm, I'm happy to be doing this podcast with, with you as well. I'm especially happy to be here doing this podcast with you tonight because, you know, this might be one of our last together. You know, we've had a good run. We've been thick as thieves for quite a while now. We go way back. We're obviously very good friends. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to... Are you breaking up with me live on the podcast? Is that what's happening right I'm now? I'm going to have to explore trading you away for payroll flexibility reasons. I just hmm. can't afford you anymore. That's that's true. I do hit arbitration in a couple years. We're just coming off of a very good run. We had a great year. You know, I felt like we really hit our stride. You know, we're talking about public ownership. Um, we're getting current and former MLB players on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun, but I'm going to have to uh, help you pack your bags, my friend. Well, I, um, I want to congratulate you on your new position with the Rays. Um, it seems like you are doing a great job at leading that franchise over there. I mean, that's a, that's a really, really good snag on, on their end. Thank you. Me and yeah. Eric Neander are best buds now. <laughs> it's just me and my old pal Eric just grabbing, <laughs> I don't know, espressos together. No, no, of course. I would never trade you away from this podcast. As if you have the ability. Oh, wow. Whoa. Now it's a challenge. Oh, yeah. Now Bring it's in the a heat. challenge. Okay. Well, um, I think we've played this joke out quite enough. Uh, we are going to... We have the pleasure of being joined by um, Colin McHugh, who we are big fans of and have been for quite a while. He's like one of your... one of He was one of your earliest tipping pitches guys. One of Alex Baisley's guys. Yeah, that's that's true. Um, I'm sure that's because you had him on your fantasy team. Not even. Uh, just just generally seems like a like a good hang. I mean, I guess I guess on this podcast we will we will find out. But um, Colin is a he's currently a free agent. He has a, a podcast, the Twelve Six podcast, where he kind of brings on um, people from around the game to chat, players, agents, the like, and. Uh, and we're really excited that he he got he's joining us today. I'm a really big fan of the 12-6 podcast. I'm a really big fan of Colin. I'm excited to talk to him, and I'm excited for you all to listen to that. But before we get into it with Colin, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And you're listening to Tipping Pitches. Alex, really quickly, three things that we have to get to before um, Colin joins the line. Number one, we made a joke about it in the intro. It's the Rays and their payroll. We can't let them off the hook. We can't let them off the hook. We spent the whole World Series talking about this narrative. I complained about it incessantly. I'm sure people were like, we get it. You don't like the Rays because they don't pay for players. Can we just talk about the series itself? No, the answer is no. You're not here to hear us talk about the series. You're here to talk about the payroll. I just, like, I'm not saying that I expected the Rays to go out and make a bunch of free agent signings this year, beef up payroll to Yankees, Dodgers level. But like, I was kind of like, okay, we've had this narrative for the last couple months, but the Rays did really well. I'm really curious about, I was, I was naively 
optimistic. And I know you can never be optimistic about the uh, the, the workings of billion-dollar corporations. But here I was thinking maybe the Rays are going to um, flip the narrative. Turns out uh, they are interested in potentially trading Blake Snell. I don't know if you've heard the name, but he's a pretty good pitcher. Um, he has a whopping $39 million left on his contract over the next three, three years. That's over three years. Wow. So extremely tough for them I- to... I can't afford $39 million over the next three years. So I'm sure the Rays can't either. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They they run like a small business. (laughs) One of of 30. (laughs) Famously, there are only 30 small businesses in most industries. Right. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) They they declined to extend a qualifying offer to Charlie Morton, to which the Braves... Heard of him. Right. Heard of him. Uh, To which the uh, Atlanta Braves promptly said, uh, okay, we will take one of those. And, uh, and one even of those so- <laughs> years for $15 million. Yes, exactly. This v- incredible pitcher over the last four years. Best rotation in baseball now? Maybe. Who knows? Why would uh, the Rays need any of that? I don't know about all that. I don't know about all that. I need to see a little more. <laughs> I just, I just, it. it <sighs> yes, yes. Here it comes. <sighs> I want you to speak your truth. I don't know, purely from like a marketing standpoint, from like a business-oriented standpoint where we are supposedly so reliant on fans for income, right? Fans are the big reason we lost so much money. So why are you now dismantling the one thing that in theory will attract fans to your ballpark? Yeah. I love that this podcast is like a running like debate club against baseball owners where we're like presenting all of this evidence and then they don't even make a counter argument. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> just roll out the same shit no matter what <laughs> owner, no matter what year. Abyss. Yeah, exactly. Um, oh man. I mean, this sucks. Didn't they cut Hunter Renfro too? Yeah. Hunter Renfro and beloved Mike Zanino. I mean, obviously this is ridiculous. Of course they could afford them, but they think that they can get players who are even more affordable than the ones that they already have who are very affordable currently. They just made it to the World Series on a shoestring budget, and they're like, we can do it again. Or they're like, we don't care about doing it again. One or the other. And either way, it's bad for baseball. And it's especially bad if you're a Rays fan, who I actually have never really met a Rays fan. And I don't think that that's a coincidence. I'm not trying to be snarky, and I'm not trying to get a dunk off on Rays fandom. I mean, I'm not from Florida. I've never been to Tampa. But I think that I've met fans of basically every team for the most part. And I don't think I can name a Rays fan. Nobody likes payroll flexibility. It's not fun to root for. I here, Here's what I will say. And that because I, I don't want to belabor the point. We we kind of recycle these talking points every week. But Stuart Sternberg. And again, you know, if, he, if you're listening, open invite to come on the pod and respond go, to us. But Stu. Stu Sternberg, a um, recurring and legendary guest on the Mike Francesa show. Did you know that? <laughs> no. Oh my God. But that he used makes to just total call in. Somehow. He used to just call in and Francesa would be like, Stu, first of all, great job this year. What I mean, what you're doing with that payroll is just unbelievable. And that's all you need to know about the rest of the conversation. Yes. <laughs> so I just want to say, Stu, if if the business of baseball is so bad for you, if you literally cannot afford to feel the competitive baseball team get out 
He is a fielding a competitive baseball team, though. That's the problem. It's such a fine argument to walk. Like, it's such a fine line. And, you know, people will be like, I already saw people trotting out, what if Snell demanded a trade? You don't know that he didn't demand a trade. And I don't. I don't know that he didn't demand a trade. But guess what? Money talks. And if they wanted to pay him more, if they didn't try to extend him through his arbitration years and already exploit the fact that they knew that they could do that or trade him, then we wouldn't even be having this conversation right now. He would already be on a better contract and he would not demand a trade just because he got pulled out of one World Series game if he was already making a ton of money. Yeah. People don't Something, demand trades because they dislike the manager. They say fire the manager. Especially when that team just made it to the World Series the year prior. And their manager is one manager of the year. So like he didn't demand a trade because of the World Series. And if he yeah. did, whatever, then I'm wrong. I will admit that I'm wrong. <laughs> Oh, anyway, uh, all that to say, I'm sure there is more. uh, I'm sure that Steve Cohen is not the only billionaire out there who is actually interested in putting money into a baseball franchise. So um, to all of our billionaire listeners, uh, maybe shoot, shoot Stu an email, (laughs) shoot Stu a text. Trade Blake Snell for all the slapdick prospects you can find. Um, okay, what else do we need to talk about? Well, um, first well, of all, before we move off the race, actually, I, d- I do want to say, uh, you know, we, like everybody else, delighted in the wonderful postseason run of one nameless Randy Rosarena, who we did not know. Obviously, last week, it came out that Randy Rosarena was evol- involved in a domestic dispute that was potentially violent, allegedly violent, and he allegedly kidnapped his own child. And it's just one of the saddest stories that I can even drum up in my head and I hope that people are able to come through that okay and that proper justice is given out to Randy Rosarena um, because that sucks and it seems like this keeps happening and I don't have a better explanation or I don't have a better explanation for why stuff like this keeps happening in the sport other than that it's a climate that's not being treated with the proper attention and resources that it should be that this many people continue to get themselves in trouble for stuff like this that this many people are being harmed by baseball players who are supposed to be role models. It's just, it's very depressing. And we're not going to be able to talk more about it intelligently because we don't know all the details of it. And I don't think a lot of people do. Um, but I do want to say that before we move off the race because we crack a bunch of jokes, but there's a lot of serious stuff going on as well on the flip side. Yeah. Um, I, you know, thoughts go out to his family, his partner's family. Um, I hope I hope Major League Baseball would approach this thing with some sort of compassion towards all the parties involved and help anyone uh, who needs the help. But uh, I don't feel confident up uh, about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, let let let's move on. Two more things that we need to talk about before we bring Colin in. While we're while we're chatting about um, potential World Series victors, um, some of you may have seen floating around on Twitter this past week that the the KBO championship finished this past week and the winning team the nc dinos were were granted a a big sword no other way to say it it's just (laughs) no other way to say it they won and they got a sword (laughs) and a lot to unpack there um more swords for winners i more swords for losers more swords bring back bring back swords replace Uh, guns with swords right exactly publish this in the atlantic (laughs) Yeah, give every cop a sword is not the take that I think we need right now. <laughs> hold on, hold on. It's the take that we deserve, though. Right, yes, it is. 
give all cops swords. Jesus no, Christ. give all citizens swords and give yeah. cops nothing. Yes, there you go. The problem is someone's going to find this clip and give cut out that last part, and it's just going <laughs> to... <laughs> anyway, it, it got me thinking. I was like, you know, but has there ever been like a cool-ass Major League Baseball trophy? You know, like has, has there been a cool World Series trophy? Yeah, and something like, better than a hunk of metal, so to speak. Right, something, yes, exactly, as one commissioner would refer to it as. Uh, the answer is no, but there are some interesting uh, tidbits that I want to bring up. First of all, I didn't know that the the World Series trophy as it exists now didn't start until 1967, and that in like the six decades or so prior to that, there just there's there just wasn't anything. They were just like, okay, good job, thank you, go home. It was your word. See, see you in six months. You no, people it- just gotta believe you if you tell them that they won the World <laughs> Series. It's like it's like prove it. It's like you show them a photo of everyone on the team holding up the number one. Like right, exactly. we did it. Yes. <laughs> um, but there were a couple trophies that were awarded uh, in the late 19th century. Um, the 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 first trophy on record that I could find was the the Davre Cup, named after uh, noted actress Helen Davre. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was the wife of John Ward, played for the New York Giants at the time. Uh, she basically said, you know what? You guys, are, you guys are playing so hard. You're doing so great all year long. You deserve a trophy. And, uh, and she named it after herself. And as then, one does. As one does. And then when the, um, the, the National League and the American uh, Association, the two champs would play each other, and then the winner would get the trophy. However... There was only one trophy. You know, they didn't make one year after year. Very so they, cool. it would just be passed around team to team. However, for some reason, it was stipulated. So many howevers. Look at So you. many howevers. This is an Alex Basley Wikipedia deep dive. I, like, I didn't know it would be. Um, if a team was to win the championship three times in a row, the trophy would be theirs. So Just to keep. Just to keep. You yeah. said two times or three times in a row? Three times in a row. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so do you think they had cute terms back then, like three Pete, or were they just like we won it three times in a row? Right, exactly. We should come up with a with a quicker way to say this. Th- three, three, back to back to back. It doesn't roll off the tongue as much. <laughs> the Boston Bean Eaters won three times in a row. The Boston Bean Eaters, obviously. Let's go. Um, and by this time, Helen Davre was not super interested in baseball. So the Bean Eaters got the trophy, and the baseball leagues were like, hey, do you want to make us another one? And she was like, no. <laughs> and, uh, and then sometime in the following years, the trophy just disappeared. No one, no one has seen it since. Really? Yes. It's like the holy grail of baseball. It is literally the holy grail of baseball, the fountain of youth. <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> um. Coming up next in the Atlantic, in next month's issue after our, our issue from this year or from this month, is um, was Helen Davre the original millennials are fleeing from watching baseball? <laughs> she literally baseball was. is dying. She didn't <laughs> want to make them a second trophy. My think piece coming exactly. up. Right. Well, the the New American York Times Association paid me hundred grand for this. <laughs> the American Association soon just dissolved fell on its face after that. So maybe she saw it coming. 
Uh, wow. the, the, the only other trophy I'd like to bring up um, was the Temple Cup, which um, the, the coal and lumber baron, William C. Temple, who owned the Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, everybody just names the shit after themselves. I thought you were going to say, like, it was yeah. given to the most religious team. Right. <laughs> no, although if the words coal and lumber baron, uh, William Temple, who owned the Pittsburgh Pirates, is not like the most baseball thing you've heard. I don't know what to tell you. It's not different than now. <laughs> it's just what it is. They're just oil barons instead. This is this is what would uh what would become the the new championship trophy. And because there was no American association, we're in uh we're in the 1890s right now, 1894. And uh and there's no American association. So the first place and the second place teams of the National League would play each other. And then whoever wins gets the Temple Cup. The problem is no one is interested in this mm. because no one wants to see the first place team play the second place team. And three times out of four, the, the second place team would win. Oh. Which everyone said, does that not invalidate the entire regular season that we just played? Wow, same shit, different day. <laughs> it re- I, I only had to bring that up because it reminds me of just the thing that we were, uh, just, just the World Series that we've been dealing with. In fact, the turnout was so bad that they refused to release attendance figures because they didn't want anyone to know. History repeats itself. This is literally, this is the future that Rob Manfred wants. I thought you were going to go with, this is Trump's inauguration all over again. But in reverse. <laughs> Got him. Do you know what any of these trophies look like? Are there pictures? <laughs> Sorry, are there um, drawings? Was this before they had cameras? <laughs> right. I don't really know. The the uh, the Davre Cup. If any of our listeners have the Davre Cup. Right. If I you've promise seen it. you, you can stay anonymous, of course. We'll come on. You come on the pod. We'll do one of those voice modulators and we'll make you sound like you're a, like... <laughs> blacked out figure in a CSI <laughs> TV show. Uh yeah, it looks kind of dope. Not like these just like a bunch of sticks on a piece of metal like we have nowadays. This thing says like the Davre Cup in this low key like heavy metal font. Oh, let's go. And the writing is fun to the players winning the world's championship. Oh, it has a catcher's mask on it, too? We've got a representation for the catchers of the world. We have two pennants. We have some baseball bats on there. Okay, we'll we'll put this link to the the photo in the description for any of our listeners who are curious and have not already looked it up. Um, Okay, Alex. One final thing before Colin joins the pod. Shohei Otani. Our beloved. Our beloved. You wanted to talk about him. Wax poetic. Go ahead. I just want to know how he's doing. I just want to know if he's doing okay right now. It's been a tough year. Been a tough couple of years for him. It's been a tough year for all of us. Yes. And um, it seems like it might be taking a bit of a toll on him. This is, uh, this is from an interview in the Kyoto News, uh, which is a Japanese news outlet. Uh, he did an interview with them. Um, about a week ago, and they talked about a, they went all over the board with this, like his COVID safety protocols, 
and um like what song does he sing while he's washing his hands yes yeah exactly yeah (laughs) um but the part of the interview that caught my eye was right in the middle when it talks about his hitting struggles and so the interviewer asked him what it was like warming the bench at the end of the season and he said wow bodied uh, uh, yeah is that what it translates to that is i that must be what it translates to this is i'm reading this verbatim the questions were blunt like, Did your butt get sore from eating so much pine, Otani? Yeah. The, the question, like a couple before, is you went hitless in a career worst 21 straight appearances. <laughs> what was that like? Like, I don't know. Probably sucked. Um, <laughs> but anyway, his response to the benchwarming question is, uh, more than thinking how the team couldn't use me or how frustrating it was, the hardest part was thinking I couldn't produce. If I could, I would compile better numbers, get more playing time, and wouldn't feel useless. I was frustrated and I couldn't get it done. And that was the hardest. Oh, no. And then uh, the interview asks, you called last season the most disappointing ever. ever. What about this year? No, Tani says, it was more like pathetic. Oh, I couldn't no. hit or pitch like I wanted to. No, make it stop. The interviewer goes, pathetic isn't the kind of descriptor you usually hear a baseball player say. And Otani goes, yeah, that's right. Up until 2019, I could more or less do the things I wanted to. I'd pretty much never experienced the feeling of wanting to do something, but being completely unable to do it. And my heart broke. Wow. Shohei, I love you, but you're bringing me down. (laughs) You're bringing me way down, dude. It is a really unique phenomenon watching baseball players who are absolute phenoms struggle. Yeah. Well, I want to say, though, like, you remember... There was like a few weeks ago where Vlad Guerrero Jr. had a similar profile Q&A written of him. And it wasn't so much that he was like, I suck. It was that he said that he's lost like 30 pounds and that he didn't really work as hard as he should be doing. And it was just so honest in a way that you don't hear stars be anymore because like they've been media trained from such a young age. And obviously Otani's been media trained from a young age too. Obviously Vlad Guerrero Jr. has been media trained from a young age because his dad is a Hall of Famer. But for them to make the active choice to be this honest, to tell people stuff that they don't have to tell people, I think shows a degree of perspective. It shows a degree of uh, humility. And I want to be the type of person who can draw a larger conclusion from this and say, this means that Otani is going to come back better than ever. Hell yes. What do you think? I I absolutely love it. Is I that think good that, like, radio right there? <laughs> you really you really spun that. I I liked it. Thank um, you. I I think part of it is like a factor of also talking to a Japanese outlet and being able to conduct the interview like in his native language. I think there's probably a level of comfort there that maybe he doesn't get having to speak to speak at press conferences through an interpreter or something like that. Yeah. Um There's probably a bit of uh, I don't know. Candid. Candid Shohei. Okay. I love him. Anyway, no matter what happens, I will love him just the same. It's so, it was one of the most upsetting things about the 2020 baseball season on field wise to just watch him go out there and just have no idea. So I hope that he comes back and he is at least healthy enough to remain a pitcher and the Angels are actively invested in that too because it's just one of the coolest things about baseball. Um, I, I really, I, I don't want him to be the next Mike Trout. Well, okay, that's a weird way of saying that. But I don't want him to be, um, fall into our perception of Mike Trout, where he's like, he's amazing. So we just don't have to talk about him ever, ever. <laughs> Shohei Otani's amazing. We should talk about that all the time. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, let's bring in Colin McHugh. What do you say? Word, youth culture power, rain down like showers. Be aware, know the time in these final hours. It's for the non-believers who say they can't see it. Open your hearts and minds to the best kept secret. Okay, Alex. We are so lucky to be joined by Colin McHugh, only the second active MLB player to appear on Tipping Pitches. Colin, thanks for joining us, man. You told me there was 12. You told me I was the 12. <laughs> That's how we booked you. Yeah, you rounded out the <laughs> roster. Uh... To be fair, I you, you did ask me to get on, and I was like, yes, I'm going to do it. And then I completely forgot one time. So I was like, they might not have me on this next time. I'm not sure. So I appreciate no, the link you guys. Who can, can relate, honestly? Yeah. <laughs> um, how Just before we get started, like, how how are you? How are you doing? It's a weird time of year. Um, were you able to celebrate the the holiday weekend in any fashion just like how vibe check as megan markle said thank you for asking i appreciate that <laughs> nobody nobody ever asks right. i'm just kidding people ask me way too much how you're doing um i'm i'm doing pretty well like uh all things considering in 2020 i think um everybody's doing their best making the best decisions they can or that they know how to make in this weird time period but um Health-wise, you know, we're, we're lucky enough we've been pretty healthy as a family. And, you know, the kids had some sniffles last week that we all really freaked out about because that's how everybody's doing these days. But we have to remember that viruses, other viruses still exist, especially yeah. in two- and four-year-olds. So yeah. um, we're, we are currently learning that. But, yeah, everything's, everything's going pretty well. That's, that's good to hear. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's like we're in the days of, like, a headache or, like, it gets too cold in your house. And you're like, hang on, everybody, hold everything, stop. Let's figure this out really quickly. And I don't know. I definitely sympathize with that. I had a, I had a friend who got a COVID test the other day and the doctor came in and was like, okay, you're fine. You don't have COVID, but how are you feeling? And she's like, fine. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, cause you have the flu. And she was like, I, I didn't even know that was on the table right now, but I, I, I guess we'll deal with that. Sure. So yeah, it, strange times. Thanks, Doc. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks for making me feel better. Um, so I want—I wanted to ask about that, Colin. You alluded to it a little bit about this last year and everything, and obviously you chose to sit out for a couple different reasons. But I wanted to ask you about that to start out. Um, you know, what was that process like for you in deciding? What were some of the factors that went into it? And then once you kind of made that decision and bunkered down with your family and everything. What what was it like to watch a season of baseball kind of unfold from the confines of your home, which you know all of us listening and all of us here on this podcast are used to that kind of thing, but I'm sure you're not. Yeah, it was odd, uh, <laughs> odd for me because I I love baseball, but I haven't watched it that way in years, um, especially that consistently being able to just flip on every night and flip between a couple of different teams. At this point, I know so many guys and and have friendships with so many guys on different teams that it was kind of nice to be able to just check in and see how the teams are doing, how the individual guys are doing and, you know, then shooting text messages after the games to like, you know, get my own little scoop on how things are going. <laughs> I felt, uh, I felt very in the know and out of the know at the exact same, uh, exact same time. But the, the, I mean, the decision to not play this year was pretty excruciating. I mean, it's, it's hard because this is what I've been doing for, you know, gosh, professionally 12 years now. And then I've, as long as I know, and I've played baseball every year, every summer, you know, forever. So to decide, nah, I, I think I'm going to sit this one out. Um, especially when I was really excited. I mean, I'm, I'm wearing my Red Sox shirt right now or stuff right now. Cause I 
had two parts of two spring trainings with the Red Sox. And I was yeah. really pumped to like be able to get out there with them and, and play at Fenway and do the whole thing. I love Boston. Um, but yeah, like you said, for many different reasons, it, it didn't make sense this year for me to do it. Um, my elbow was still struggling. I knew I was going to need some time, some more time for rehab and in an already shortened season. It, it just didn't make a ton of sense to try and rehab in the middle of, of COVID world in baseball. And the Red Sox, I will say, they did an amazing job of of keeping everybody separate and keeping everybody safe, as, as safe as possible um, at Fenway. But that meant that everything was super spread out, that guys had, you know, basically their own suites. They kind of separated all the suites out into, into locker rooms. So the the getting to know people on a new team was tough yeah. because you're not really having that same, you're not playing cards in the, you know, in the afternoon, as soon as you get to the park, you're not, you know, just sitting in the, um, in the lunchroom, you know, just chit-chatting. So uh, that part was difficult. And so for me to, to be able to watch them the rest of the season, I felt like I get to, I got to get to know the guys better watching yeah. them on the field than I actually did uh, in person. So that was strange, but um, yeah, overall, I, I just knew it was, it was more important for me to be here at home with my family than, uh, than, than trying to gut it out over this season. And who knows what would have happened if I would have stayed. But, um, you know, looking back at this point, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I got a little time off. My, my elbow feels great right now, which is, you know, it's great. Knock on wood. It feels good. So I'm, I'm planning on trying to give another run, uh, here this off season and see what happens. But, um, maybe that's what I needed. Kind of a hard reset. Yeah. I love the idea that you're just sitting at home, tuning into MLB TV and like, Oh, you know, uh, Trout's about to get in a bat. Let me tune into the Angels game real quick. I like the same thing. <laughs> is your stream going down when my stream is going down? Or do you have a special like players MLB TV subscription <laughs> that actually fucking works all the time or what? Dude, I had to. I was like, Mom, do you still have a subscription? Are you <laughs> what, are you are you watching games? And she's like, I just watch the Braves now because I don't have I don't I don't have anybody else to watch. And I was like, we well, still got to watch the Astros. There's, st- I still have friends there. And like, you can still watch the Red Sox. She's like. Colin, I have only so much desire to watch baseball, especially when you're not playing. So um, she's still kind of a diehard Braves fan, though, which, uh, you know, God bless us. We can't we can't let them go. They're, they're finally they're good <laughs> it again. Great now, and it was I'm a like, great year. And they're a I'm fun like, team. Man, they're really, really fun. I was yeah. I was having a really good time watching them. But I did the same thing. I was like flipping between channels. And you know, every once in a while, I'd flip on MLB Network or SportsCenter and see how how everybody talks about baseball now. Cause that's a, like, I, I am a baseball fan, but I, I feel like I'm so out of touch with what baseball is like for, for the average fan. Yeah. So I'm asking all my friends, like what's wrong with baseball? What's right with baseball? And like back channeling <laughs> back to the union being like, guys, we got to get on top of this. This is what sucks about it. This is what we got to change. Boots on the ground reporting right <laughs> yeah, here. That's incredible. <laughs> Grassroots. Here we go. Um, so how do you kind of feel, um, I guess heading into, next year the next baseball season like i feel there are a lot of conversations that make it seem like there will be a normal baseball season next year with fans potentially and to those of us who watched the 2020 baseball season uh like yeah that gives me a little pause um i don't know what that's going to look like but do you kind of have a sense of if there were any lessons learned uh from this year if there are different ways the the league might go about it if you think the teams have gotten maybe smarter about any protocols or anything like that we sure as hell better have learned something from the season i mean lord knows enough time and effort went into you know getting it going getting it off the ground and then you know figuring out how to navigate 
two, three, four teams, you know, having to shut things down. Uh, I, I was talking to Andrew Miller not too long ago on, on my podcast, and he was kind of in the middle of that quarantine at that point in time. They were trying to make up all these games. So they were like on the road for, I don't know, 20 days playing 27 straight games. It was wild. But, you know, these are, it was a 60 game season, right? Like 60 whatever games. Um, maybe just 60. I don't actually remember where we landed. Um, but, well, it was 60 and then the cards played 58. So, yeah. So, like, <laughs> you're right. It's winning percentages, right? Come on. Rob, yeah. Rob told us it's winning percentages. Um, <laughs> 162 games is a, is, a lot, is a lot longer to try and navigate um you know a global pandemic and you know obviously we're we're trying to have some hope about a potential vaccines sometime in the middle of of next year and you know we're all hopeful about that to an extent but um i doubt i'm i'm going to go out on a limb and say i doubt it's going to be a standard 162 normal game baseball season the the way we've always uh, watched it um i think there's too much too much at stake in terms of guys health players health and, you know, I mean, we, what we had 205,000 cases of COVID yesterday in America, which is, you know, twice as much as it was at the at kind of its peak earlier when everybody was freaking out. So we're not going in the right direction in terms of trying to pack stadiums back in. And, you know, the winter is is not going to be helpful for that, um, getting people, getting more people indoors. And uh, I think we just got to be patient. We got to be patient and we got to wait it out again and um, kind of take it as it comes. But we, to, to answer your original question, yeah, I think we have learned a lot. Um, we spent all summer negotiating over the the ins and outs of of all this all these protocols. I think they ended up at 107 pages of, of protocols that we that we had, and then they added pages over the course of a season because Let's go a little light beach reading. Yeah, right. You got to like you know make some adjustments on the fly. Yeah, they gave it to they gave it to me before you know I'm on, I'm on the executive board with the PA, and they gave it to us you know like four days before we were supposed to report to the second spring training. I'm like, guys, I don't, I don't read very fast. I'm like, I'm gonna have to put this on like audio. Yeah, like do you have, do you have audio book version? Yeah. Like Rob Manfred on audio uh, audible. Yeah. We're me and my wife are like tag teaming it. We're like, are right, you take the first 30 pages? I'll take the Yeah. We'll go Popcorn, from there. Colin McHugh's wife. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was, you know, it, I think, I think we have to be um, flexible. I don't think any of us, knew what to expect, but hopefully now having actually made it through a whole season, which to me is still really impressive. Uh, I think from a individual uh, responsibility standpoint from players and coaches and staff um, and organizations to kind of league wide, being able to figure out how to navigate through this. It was a big deal. I think it was, it was a good accomplishment. And uh, you know, if anybody ever says the Dodgers didn't deserve this, or it was a asterisk season, I'm like, I know what these guys went through. I was talking to them every day and to be able to to be able to finish this season and play as well as they did all year, to me, give them two, give them two World Series. I mean, it was it was impossible for anybody to do, and they did it. Yeah. Well, I, I want to talk about the labor committee in a second because we we talk a lot about you know labor and baseball on this podcast. But, but really quickly before we do, I kind of want to get a look into your head and in, in, in talking to some of these guys and in just in your own performance. One of the things that I was like really just taken aback by in that first week of baseball and watching baseball is just how normal it looked and the ability of these guys to prepare and get out there is just so elite and incredible and then at the end of the season looking back after the world series was over i think alex and i on this pod and plenty of other places all had the takeaway that damn the the baseball was pretty amazing and like we're happy that everybody was able to get through it relatively healthy as healthy as possible even though there were a lot of slip-ups that are hopefully going to be able to be avoided in the future but you know, from your perspective, how is it that even with no fans, even with different spring training, even with summer 
training, like summer camp is what they were branding yeah. it as, presented by Doosan or whatever. Um, <laughs> how is it that the baseball was so sharp right from the beginning? I'm sure you were recognizing stuff that we weren't recognizing about. A guy didn't have a pitch working in a certain way, but how were they able to click it on so quickly? And do you think they can do it again? Yeah, I think it goes back to the, because I mean, most guys were literally throwing in their backyards. You know, they were throwing down the street with a buddy, like they were doing whatever they could do. Some guys, you know, I, I was talking to Garrett and Garrett had the ability to go into the park at, uh, at Yankee stadium and throw his bullpens, but they wouldn't let him, wouldn't let him go in there, like stay in there, work out, do the whole thing. So, I mean, it's a testament to, like you said, how, how damn good baseball players are right now. Like it is, it is absurd. The level of talent that is out there and to see these guys kind of take it upon themselves and and stay responsible for their own game and not just say like, I'm going to kind of throw in the towel because this year doesn't really matter. Like these guys have a lot of pride in what they do. And you know, 60 games is a sprint for us. Like two months feels like I could do two months without thinking about it. So, uh, you know, everybody could kind of, kind of blow it out early on and say like, Hey, I'm going to let it eat. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to go for it early and, and see how far I can stretch this because over the course of a season, I mean, I know as a, as a starting pitcher, you've got multiple months sometimes where you're just not feeling it. You're like, you're, you're missing something. You're not sharp. You're tired. You're bent, your shoulder elbows banging. And you know, if, if you're lucky enough to be healthy through a 60 game season and you've got tw- maybe 10 to 12, 13 starts that you can just go and, and run through it. I mean, these guys are going to be sharp, super sharp, and especially in the playoffs, which is kind of like when you're getting to your peak, you're right around all, you're right around the all-star break time. You're you know, even earlier than that. So the, the schedule, I think, plays into it a little bit. I've always been a, a fan of maybe we shorten the season a little bit. Maybe we, you know, maximize some of this <laughs> oh, talent no. that, we, that we have out there. <laughs> Baseball I know, sacrilege. I know. It's an, un, it's an uh, unpopular um, it's an unpopular opinion on a lot of levels, <laughs> with both baseball <laughs> players and front offices and the union. Nobody really likes it, uh, but I'm like, hey, if maybe we could have better play over the course of 152, who's missing the last 10 games? Like who's who's like whining and complaining that they don't get 10 more games of baseball over the course of a summer? You can, you sorry, don't, Bobby, you, if it's you, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not me. You don't I, know I how that, that there how, are a lot of purists out here. That, <laughs> those that August 27th baseball game. That's really crucial to me. When I, when a quarter of the teams are out of it, we, I think we got to keep those there. It's a big deal, man. Yeah. You're trying to, you're, you're grinding through. I'm, you know, I'm running, maybe you're running on like three hours of sleep for the last couple of days. Maybe you get an overnight flight and then you're coming back and playing a day game. It's great. It's exactly what we want to be doing. But um, 60 games felt super short, and I obviously don't want to do that uh, ever again if we don't have to at a major league level. But um, it was kind of fun as an experiment, to, as a necessary experiment in a lot, on a lot of levels. I think that the guys made the most of it and played some pretty kick-ass baseball. Yeah. I, uh, I, as long as we don't shorten the calendar, you know, because I like that it starts, you know, late or early, mid-spring or whatever. Um, and it's just back in our lives, you know, and then it goes through yeah. September and October and that fall feeling starts to change and the baseball changes a little bit because the temperature is changing. You know, you can take as many games out and have more rest days. I'm fine with that. There's always going to be baseball on, but as long in as Japan, we don't, they have every Monday off. I'm like, guys, it's a great idea. This is, this is a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. Take my, every Monday off. That's fine. You're like a college, you know, like a college kid who wants to have one day of the week that you don't have classes on. That's the way you got to set right. it up. That's the way you got to yeah, say I it know. Up. 
I've um, also been a proponent of potentially before a season starts, letting every guy have one personal day a season to say like, if schedule it before the season starts. So you have to tell the commissioner's office, like, Hey, I'm going to miss this one day. If you've got a wedding, if you've got a, you know, graduation, if you've got a, I don't know, scheduled C-section for your wife. I mean, like, you, I don't know. You Just so take to your speak, one day. you know, maybe, maybe a C-section, maybe. <laughs> It was, I, it was all, I, it was all shot down. Give you guys a handful, frankly, one, one personal day. <laughs> I'm like, no, you need, you need a weekend to, to catch up on game of throat or whatever show is on right now. Succession. Uh, yeah, you guys deserve that. <laughs> um, maybe you can propose that as, as a member. I proposed of the, it. Of I proposed it multiple committee. times. Yeah. And I'm, I'm once again, my opinion is frowned upon on so many levels. <laughs> I want, <laughs> I want to ask about, so I want to ask about that um, because you're now a member of the union committee. I don't know. How long have you been doing that? I think it's my fourth year um, on the executive committee. Yeah. I, I want to kind of get a sense of what you expected going into that and what deviated from your expectations, what you've learned now in your fourth year um, and, and anything like positive or negative, I guess, that you've taken away from that experience. Um, I am a member of my own union's bargaining committee, and I know that there's a lot that I've learned about my industry in just the time sitting in bargaining. Obviously, it's it's a little bit different because you are the only professional baseball industry in this country. So like, there's less that you can learn industry-wide. But what have you learned kind of about, I guess, the business of baseball, the economy of baseball, the history of labor about baseball, aside from just you know trying to propose your one, your one personal day for the C-section, <laughs> which I think personally you should be able to get. I would support that publicly. <laughs> it's been a crash course, man. Like it, re- it really has. I didn't know what I was getting into uh, when, I, when I first started. I was always interested in, in union stuff, kind of from the jump, getting into, getting into um, the big leagues. I, I was in it the first couple of years that, um, or the last couple of years that Michael Weiner was in there. And he was just a, a brilliant mind um, and kind of what everybody in baseball saw as as a really, really good spark in terms of um, in terms of union uh, unionizing baseball, making sure that we all stay collectively together. But also uh, he had a, he had a good rapport with, um, you know, with the major league, with the commissioner's office side. And, you know, when we lost Michael, it was a it was a big blow. And um, I saw players kind of collectively kind of step into the gap and get more involved uh, w- when they knew they needed to at that, at that level. Uh, that's when Tony came in and, and we kind of all, we kind of all just decided like, we've got it. We've got to know what we're talking about better. Cause it's on us. Uh, you know, we, we don't have Michael to look at anymore and say like, just tell us what to do or like, you know, give us some more feedback. It's always been very player based, but I think that uh, the player buy-in over the last probably five or six years has, has been, um, uh, league-wide better than I've ever seen. Um, you know, guys, guys are taking an interest in their own, in their own interests. And, and instead of just focusing on, you know, playing ball on the field, they're realizing there's a lot more at stake here and guys have sacrificed a lot for us in the past to be able to get to where we are now. And so we owe it to the next generation to, to keep ourselves informed and keep ourselves, uh, you know, abreast of the situations and, and circumstances surrounding the game as well. And so for me, I became the player rep when uh, when Jason Castro left for free agency with the Astros. I, he he kind of tapped me to become the player rep, um, so I did that for a year. And then Kevin is that really Slowly, quickly is that the type of thing yeah. that you guys vote on? Like each team votes on yeah, their own player rep. Everything has to everything has to be voted on. So executive board stuff has to be voted on every year. Um, individual player reps. So there's 30 player reps for each team, and then as many alternates from each team as you want. But those all have to be voted on as well gotcha. in 30 individual meetings. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, we do that. We do those every year. Um, and 
after Kevin slowly retired, he was on the executive board and he kind of told me, Hey, I think you, I think you might enjoy this. I think you'd be good at it. Um, it was a pension committee, uh, seat. And I didn't realize that that was also part of the executive board. It's kind of these eight people together, um, the pension committee and then the, and then the executive player board. But I was like, sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll do it. I got voted in. And then immediately they were like, all right, so here's what it actually entails. And, um, <laughs> it's like a full time job. It's a lot. You get, yeah. yeah, you gotta, you gotta kind of know what you're, know what you're talking about, which I didn't. Uh, for a while. And I was just asking so many questions. People were so sick of me. Um, Cause I would just, I would call Tony in the middle of the night and be like, Hey, I, I can't stop thinking about this. I don't know. I don't know what this means. And he's like, can I, can I talk to you in the morning about it? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And bless his heart. He always would. Um, and he, he's still, I think Tony's been um, a huge asset for us in a lot of ways, none more so than his understanding of what a baseball player is kind of at the core um, so I, I think we've got a lot of work to do this next year. We've got a CBA coming up. You know, you guys know that, um, you know, obviously how tough negotiations can be when you are the, uh, you're the worker and that kind of unrepresented or underrepresented, um, you know, body in the whole situation. But yeah, I don't know, man, it's, it's been a, it's been a blast for me and I've, I've had, I've had a lot of fun learning and, um, and representing the guys and, uh, I, I hope to continue to do that in, in, in some way, shape, or form um, whenever I'm done playing too. Are you are you guys kind of in constant communication throughout the year? Is it more of like an like an off season thing? Is there like a like a group chat where you guys you guys be, dropping sick memes about right, workers? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're like the yeah. the the labor uh, theory of labor value that that kind of thing. You know. <laughs> We do have a, the executive board has a group text that was this summer was pretty wild um, with all the negotiations, <laughs> the back and forth that we were going through. Uh, I mean, we were on conference calls and Zoom calls every other day, probably um, just because it was like there were so many, you know, so many things to get through and so many different iterations of what we were trying to accomplish. Uh, it was I know it was exhausting for everybody else to kind of see it play out publicly, which is not what any of us wanted. but. Um, you know, we were, we were all so tired at the end. We're like, we're, we're ready to play. Like if we can play safely, let's try and figure out a way to do it. And we, we got it done. But, um, yeah, I think that especially in the age of technology that we're in now, like, I think we have an opportunity to, um, to really, to really let guys get as involved as they want to, you know, you don't, you don't have to fly to a meeting in Miami every year, which we still have We're we're doing it all virtually this year, but usually we have, you know, a big executive meeting, uh, for the union every off season, you know, hundreds of guys come and we talk about all the issues, but, um, we're, we're doing it like everybody else this year, trying to, trying to stay as safe as possible. Can you kind of, if you could in briefly or as long as you want to kind of demystify Tony Clark's role in all of this. Cause I feel like so often, and this is how it works on in media and on social media, it gets boiled down to like, Tony Clark sits down at the table and Rob Manfred sits down at the table and it's Ted a Ted and they of fight it out and they, you know, they play chess and then they play checkers and whoever wins just gets the deal that they want. Like, what does that actually look like in terms of, because you talk, you know, glowingly about Tony and, and his role in educating players and understanding players and um, fighting for you guys. What does that look like as someone who's worked with him for the last four years? Um, you know, I think when he came in, it was, I think he would probably tell you the same thing. He was, it's a it's a tough role to jump into, um, especially right on the heels of a, a CBA that we were trying to negotiate. Um, you know, on the other side of table of the table, you do have Rob, who's been doing this. He's you know one of the premier labor lawyers in 
all, I mean the whole world and he's been doing it in baseball for years and years and years. So, um, you know, his role as commissioner was kind of birthed out of that role as, you know, Bud Selig's labor guy. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's very good at it. He knows, he knows what he's talking about. He knows the history of it. Uh, I think the challenge on his side is trying to get consensus between, you know, 30 competitors. Uh, you know, I think the the thing we have going for us on our side is that, um, although we compete on the baseball field as individuals, um, off the field, we, we see ourselves as equals, you know, we see ourselves as, as baseball players, uh, the same as anybody else, um, in the league. And so, you know, we, we've done a historically pretty good job of being able to leave, leave the game on the field. And, uh, and when the game, you know, goes to the, to the labor table, we're not thinking the whole CBA argument over a guy that took you deep and admired it a little too long. That's not your vibe. Nah, well, we hash out though. We have a, we have our way of hashing those things out too. Um, <laughs> as, as we've all seen, but, uh, no, that usually, it usually stays between the lines. And, um, yeah, Tony, I think, I think what Tony has, has kind of grown into over this last, you know, six, seven years is a, a more full understanding of what his job entails. And, um, to your point and to your question earlier, it's, it is sometimes sitting in a room with Rob trying to hash things out, but it's really not his ideas versus Rob, Rob's ideas. It's the collective players, uh, you know, empowering him with our opinions to mm-hmm. go take this to MLB and see what they say. And it's Rob coming to the table with all 30 owners behind him. And what does he think he can get done? What does he think he can get through his guys? And what does Tony think that players, uh, you know, what is the temperature of the players on any given issue? Um, and then usually they bring it back to us and we vote on it and decide how it, how, how that's going to play out. And if it, if we can't get something done, then we take something back, something else back to the table. And that's why these things tend to take so long because it's hard to get consensus with, I mean, they've got 30 and we've got, you know, 1500. So yeah, it's, it's a lot of, uh, it's a lot of minds and bodies that have to come to an agreement on something. And once again, if you want to read that, if you want to read our, our CBA, it is in depth. So oh, there's I a have. lot of things to negotiate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's my beach reading, Colin. I sit down on the beach with a printed out, you know, stapled together MLB CBA. And I just, I just chill. bargaining agreements. Just light, light reading, <laughs> light lawyer language. The first time I ever read the CBA was on it when I got uh, designated the first time by the Mets. I had no idea what to expect. I had no idea what the rules were. I called my agent and he was like, you know, explaining stuff to me. But in my head, I'm like, no, I need to, I need to understand it. I don't need... Yeah, I don't need you to tell me. And so, yeah, I sat down and read it for read it like front to back in a couple of days. And still, I mean, so much of it is cloaked in, in a lot of language that's tough. But I, I pulled out the high points. I figured out I think I've got time to go back home until I'm going to get claimed. Um, the language is really yeah. hard. I yeah. I wish that instead of teaching me like differential calculus in high school, which I don't use at all, they would have taught me like how to read legalese because there's so much legalese all around me, even if it wasn't labor-specific legalese, which I am obviously more interested in than the average person. Um, and that would have been a much more useful life skill. That's true. That's true. <laughs> how many How many uh, players do you think have actually like sat down and read the the CBA like is it like is it a a large amount is it mostly the guys on who are on like the labor committee like because there's not a, yeah, yeah I would say it's not a large amount no <laughs> most guys like they'll like they've done a really good job with the union of um of resourcing us with you know we've got like I think apps and booklets and online stuff online resources that we can go to that 
has kind of point by point, like you can search for what you need. Like if you're trying to figure out what moving expenses look like and reimbursements look like, or, you know, yeah, what paternity leave looks like or family travel, like you've got, they're going to break it down and say like, here's paragraph six B three and go and read it. And you know, it, it yeah. makes it a little bit easier than re- having to wade through all of it. CBA spark notes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I'm kind of curious uh, because you, you know, you, you, you mentioned um, kind of having that awareness of, of players that have come before you, people who have come before you and, and set that stage um, and giving you these opportunities. And um, I, it kind of got me thinking, I mean, something that um, a lot of conversations are being had about right now is the minor leagues. And if that's a space for, unionization, right? I know that there are a couple of organizations out there that are kind of working with minor leaguers to get them the resources that they need, or or maybe, and I know Advocates for Minor Leaguers is working kind of specifically um, around that uh, labor union aspect, but are these conversations that um, the the major league union has, and, and do you do you see a path to unionization at, at all in the near future? Oh yeah. I, I, I think it's long overdue in, in my opinion. And I, I, it's not just me. I've, I've had conversations with plenty of big leaguers now. Um, uh, the sentiment is kind of changing because the way it used to work in a lot of ways was the minor leagues were this kind of training ground and you had to pay your dues there. Guys in the big leagues thought, well, I had to do it. So you got to do it. And the, the punishment was almost like, a ritual, like a rite of passage, um, and, and the struggle and the, you know, low pay and long hours and, uh, the zero job security and zero representation, like all of these things were, everybody just assumed that's, that's just what you had to go through. Um, and also the guys that were coming up from the minor leagues were trying to take these big leaders jobs. And, you know, as, as a lot of people would, you'd say like, well, this guy's not going to take my job. So like, sure, make his life as hard as possible. I don't care because, I'm trying to I'm trying to make a living up here. Um, that sentiment has kind of changed as the as the game has gotten younger. Um, I think it's kind of a foregone conclusion that a lot of these young guys are going to come up. They're going to be good. They're going to be better than a lot of the older guys in a lot of situations. And um, it's up to us as a union collectively to begin to take care of them as early as possible. So we've got you know we've got different avenues um, on our side from the big league side of trying to get younger guys paid sooner, you know, to try and even the balance between, you know, these first three years when you're on major league minimum. But I think that goes further back and and it should be a protection for minor leaguers as well. I, I think that, you know, half of AAA rosters are already on a big league roster. So they're already part of the union. If you're yeah. on a 40 man roster, you're part of the union. So, you know, we've got half of AAA that are, they're already part of our, part of our fraternity. And then, you know, the other guys, a lot of them have been up and down already and, and they understand. And I think the earlier you can get guys kind of on board with, with what union representation looks like and what you can, what you should expect as just the dignity of being a worker in America. I think this, I think what you should expect is, um, should be taken a step further to the minor leaguers. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I work closely with Garrett and, and, uh, the advocates for minor leaguers. And, um, I try to have as many conversations as I can with these minor league guys and, kind of pick their brain and see kind of what their appetite is for potential unionization or um, organization at at some level. Um, And most of the guys, most of the guys are just trying to grind, you know, they're just trying to make, make a living and, and survive in the minor leagues. So 
um, it's hard for them to kind of, I think, on a lot of level, levels, wrap their mind around what it would look like to take a step further or take a step um, in the direction of their own security and their own representation. But uh, it's going to be it's going to be up to up to us in a lot of ways as big leaguers to um, continue to press the topic and and make that a, make that a priority for us. Major League Baseball is already doing it. You know, they're they're trying to take minor league baseball and kind of bring it under their umbrella and everything baseball in the world is going to be MLB's world. And, um, you know, on the player side, I think we need to think a little bit bigger as well and understand that these guys are professionals just the same way we are. They're just in a different, uh, you know, just in a different league. Yeah. 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 I mean, it feels so much to me like a, like a messaging issue to, to some extent, you know, because there is this idea that minor leaguers are kind of like interns, right. Where you have to, you have to prove yourself. Um, and I would imagine that through osmosis, you just kind of start to believe that to some extent that you're like, well, I got to pay my due, right? I got to grind it out. Like everyone else has grinded it out, ground it out before me. <laughs> um, and, and a lot of that messaging comes from owners through media outlets. And yep. so it kind of feels like there's some responsibility there to say, no, yeah, these are workers just the same. And just because they don't rake in billions of dollars in TV deals or whatever doesn't mean they shouldn't be paid living wages. So here's the deal. I got called up from AAA in 2012. And my first big league paycheck, I got taxed more on my first big league paycheck than I had made the last two years combined in the minor leagues. Wow. So uh, you think about that. I remember looking at it and being like, this can't be right. Like something's some something's off here. I got to go check my you know check my W two and see or like W four and see what I wrote down. But it's true. Like the 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 gap is so drastically different um, when the time period. I always tell like double A guys, I'm like you're one injury at the big league level away from being there. So like prepare yourself like that's the case. But they can't in a lot of ways. They can't because they're not treated like that. They're not treated with the. Um, the mindset that they're going to be, you know, that they're going to be Mike Trout one day, that they're going to, they're going to play center field for, for the Los Angeles angels at some point, you know, they're saying, they're saying like, work your ass off and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Which, you know, I understand you've got to, you've got to pay your dues at some level, but they are, they are already doing that. (laughs) If you've ever been at a minor league uh, facility for more than like three days, you understand what these guys are going through. Um, So adding kind of, you know, monetary insult to injury is it doesn't I don't think it does anything to better the game to better these guys lives or to better the game of baseball as a whole I I mean for me it's like well number one something that you said is that minor leaguers different minor league teams at different levels in various parts of the country it's so disjointed it's hard to have one message it's hard for one guy in high a here to even know a guy in double a on the east coast if he plays in middle america or whatever it's so very hard to talk the same message, be on the same page, even for you guys being 1,500 guys trying to agree on something at the major league level when there already is more financial security than in the minor league level. And you're not worried about getting cut quite as much as a minor league guy might worry about getting cut. But then the other aspect is something that Alex said for me. It's like so many fans like tow the company line frequently where they're like, these guys are trying to live out their dream. Yeah, you have to sacrifice something for that. And... I think a lot of times when when people in the media who support players want to talk about in, in support of you know minor league pay getting more 
they're like worried about stepping on those fans' toes a little bit too much. I'm like, you shouldn't actually have to sacrifice that much for that. Like, what if we were the type of country where you didn't have to sacrifice that much in an industry that is booming and ranking in billions of dollars year over year while you're, you know, contracted in affiliated ball with a franchise that's making billions of dollars? Like, what if you didn't have to sacrifice financially? What if you didn't have to bootstrap just because, like, we decided it was a little bit more equitable? And I feel like people are afraid of saying that to a lot of fans. Yeah, I mean, baseball's baseball's full of traditionalists. And I say that as kind of a traditionalist in some ways myself. Yeah. But there is there are some things about baseball that are great the way that they are. And I think that they have been that way for a long, long time for a good reason. The way the game is played, I think, is like we're not changing 90 feet. 90 feet works, you know, for whatever reason. How Whoever came up with 90 feet, like... There's so many bang bang plays at first base and like the, th- I mean, the way the game actually plays on the field is beautiful. And it, and anytime I get, I get up in arms when people try to change the way the game is played on the field a lot of times, but off the field, like things change in America, like guys change the way amateur baseball is, it works these days changes. And then they get into, pro, these guys get into pro ball. And it's like, for a lot of them, it's a huge step backwards. You know, they've been they've been resourced like crazy in the, in their amateur ball to get to that level, you know, to get to the minor leagues and to get to professional baseball, to have a chance to play at the big league level. And then, you know, we throw these guys into whatever the, whatever the minor league is or minor leagues are right now, which is, is tough. And honestly, it's getting worse. Like we saw it in COVID in in COVID ball this year, like without a season at all, there are going to be so many guys that just never come back, never get a chance to come back because they, You've got yeah. to make a living. You got to have, you know, five, four jobs over the course of a year to make up for, to make up for this stuff, and and also still try and train on the side. And I mean, I had plenty of years where I was like, I'm it. This is it. I'm done. You know, I can't do this anymore. I'm, you know, working two or three jobs in the off season, trying to make it work during the season while being married. And uh, you know, talk about guys sacrificing stuff. Guys sacrifice so much to try and play baseball. And their wives and girlfriends sacrifice even more. So to pay them at, at least minor uh, or minimum wage to me is not a concession. To me, that is just straight up human dignity. Well, but you're but you're living the dream, Colin. You're playing a you're playing a child's game. Isn't that sacrifice worth it? You know, I'm gonna bring my wife in here, and she can she can answer that for all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Real quick, one last one last union question, and then we'll, I want to move on quickly because I, I want to talk about twelve six. Um, but if there's one thing, cause I often, I get frustrated with the way that stuff plays out publicly about unionization, about labor issues. And I can only imagine how frustrated you guys get and got this past summer when stuff was being leaked out to the media. If there's one thing that you wish that you could sit down over dinner with someone or sit down over a beer with someone or whatever it might be, and just kind of explained in plain English, you know, we talked about legalese, we talked about leaks, all that kind of stuff. If there's one thing about the current labor landscape for players and owners that you wish you could just explain in plain English to the average fan who kind of doesn't care about it, what would be that thing? It would be that our fates are mutual or linked. Like if baseball gets better as a whole, everybody's experience gets better. Owner's experience, player's experience, fan's experience. And right now, I think a lot of the fighting, a lot of the infighting is over these like, like the whole, the sphere of baseball that, the whole pie is only getting bigger. Like this year, this year aside, let's, let's, you know, kind of take COVID out of it for the last 10, 20 years. It has been extraordinary growth of the game. 
financially. So like there's this giant pie and trying to just like slowly, even the standard or like even the slices of the pie um, is exhausting, especially when it's played out publicly because everybody knows that the pie is getting big and nobody's (laughs) nobody. I don't think really believes that the pie is actually shrinking and getting smaller. You know, when an owner, when an owner comes out and says, it's hard to make money in baseball, people can kind of look at that at, at face value and be like, that's bullshit. We know that this, <laughs> yeah. this, that's not true. You wouldn't be an owner. Like there wouldn't be billionaires lined up from here to, you know, the middle East trying to own a baseball team, um, which there are, and there will be forever. I think because this game has a built-in fan base in America that is extremely loyal, that loves the game and that under has been kind of conditioned to believe that this is the only baseball that matters. Like there, there shouldn't be other leagues. Baseball is it. And, you know, I think if I could just sit down and like tell a fan, stop listening to the noise. Like it is a lot of noise, but when it comes down to it, like the baseball on the field, the players and the owners are, we're linked. Like we have to, we have to come to an agreement, no matter how ugly it looks at the end of the day, we both know that if we blow this thing up, it's going to sink us both. So we're trying everything we can on both sides to make it better. It's going to look ugly while it's happening. Cause that's labor negotiation. Like you understand it's, it's ugly, but it's, you know, it's ownership and it's the workers and nothing can happen unless both of them can come and figure out a way to get through this. So, um, I felt like we kind of came to the brink this summer and it was super ugly. And then we've kind of, I think, and I hope gotten to a point where we both realize there's too much at stake here. Baseball is too important of a game to, um, to kind of have a cold war type standoff about some, you know, some shit that doesn't really matter. Uh, so I, I, it's going to be okay is what I would tell them. It's going to be okay. <laughs> <laughs> Colin McHugh here to tell you that it's going to be all right, everybody. Um, let's talk about 12, six really quickly because uh, Sean Doolittle came on our podcast in, I think January or last December. Um, and we were talking a little bit just about, you know, his ideas for growing the game, his ideas for making, you know, the very exciting baseball players that already already exist a larger part of the cultural pie, so to speak. Um, and he talks about podcasts. He talked about YouTube series and things like that. And you actually are one of the few baseball players who does have an active podcast um, while actively playing. It's just there aren't as many baseball players as, for say, basketball players or football players, I feel like, who have pods that they keep going. So I want to ask you just, you know, from the jump, what was the impetus to get it started and what have you learned about it? And for guys out there who would want to start a pod, like what, what would your number one piece of advice be? Well, it's never been easier to, to start a podcast. <laughs> I, I, I was telling people I was nervous as hell to try and start one. Cause I was like, I don't know much about technology. I'm not very well versed in like interview skills. To be honest, I was like, the thing that I wanted to do more than anything was let fans in to the personalities that are in baseball, which are some of the best personalities in the entire world that I've ever met. And they kind of get camouflaged, you know, under uniforms and hats and, you know, kind of the MLB logo. Everybody is just kind of a baseball player, one, two, three, four out on the field. And it's kind of hard to differentiate between these guys at a lot of levels. Um, But I, you know, have the privilege in, in a lot of ways of knowing these guys off the field and knowing them really well. Um, and then other guys that I don't know well, but I know by reputation, which is a big deal in baseball. And 
you know, I, I want to get to know them personally, like selfishly. I want to get to know them as much as anybody else does, because I think that there are just fantastic people all around the game that don't get a lot of airtime, to be honest with you. Like you've, yeah. you've got that, like, I understand basketball players doing it. I could probably name, you know, off the top of my head, I could probably name 50 basketball players and understand, like recognize their faces. I don't know if I could do that with, you know, a, a random sampling of 50 baseball players that you showed me. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that baseball is an amazing game and baseball has some really, really great things to offer to its fans that it, I don't think it's done a great job of doing in the past. And so for me, and I think you guys as well, it's been, it, it's been fun listening because I enjoy, I, I enjoy hearing all of the different takes about baseball and understanding how guys feel about it from a fan perspective, from a writer's perspective, from coaches and players. And, um, I want to get those perspectives out there to people as much as possible. Let people in a little bit behind the scenes and, and show them that, you know, we're not baseball robots. We're human (laughs) beings with, with emotions and feelings and all kinds of interests (laughs) and hobbies. Uh, But it's been a lot of fun. I've I've had, I've had a blast doing it. Are there any moments uh, on the pod that, that stand out to you in particular, maybe something that, that someone said that really surprised you, caught you off guard. Was there a, was there a guest where the conversation went a direction you weren't expecting? What are your, what are some greatest hits in your mind, so to speak? <laughs> Man, I've had some good ones. Um, I remember talking to Gene Orza um, earlier in the in the pandemic. He's a longtime labor guy. He'd, he'd been on the on the union side for a long, long time, and the stories that he had. I mean, I could probably I could probably fill three more podcasts with the with the stories that we recorded. That I was like. I don't think we can use that, can we? He's like, no, we can't use that. (laughs) But like, I'm just soaking it. I'm just being a sponge, soaking it all in because, um, like I said, there's a history here of baseball, and it's a lot of in a lot of ways, it's it's an oral history. Like, it's it just gets passed down in clubhouses, and it gets passed down on buses and planes and over beers at at midnight. You know, at at hotel bars at midnight. And um, I was sad because this year we missed a whole season of that this year that we're never going to get back. These guys that were on teams, like I'm never going to get that back with with guys on the Red Sox and even guys who played the entire season, um, it wasn't the same. And so I think it's even more crucial than ever to be able to have conversations uh, like the ones I hope to have and, and like the ones y'all are having on here because, um, you know, <laughs> we need to we need to verbally um, process what's going on too, and we haven't had the opportunity all oh, season yeah. to do it with there's each other. A, there's been a lot of real time processing of baseball feelings on this pod throughout the last year that's for sure <laughs> uh sean doolittle was amazing uh i that was the first time we had ever met we are like wives kind of knew each other online and we had played against each other before a bunch when he was with the a's um and we'd always been like i think you're cool <laughs> i think you might be cool you guys are like dogs uh, like walking up to each other yeah. at the dog park like sniffing it out feeling it right. out and then we're at spring training we're at the spring training complex together when we were there with with houston and, and washington and so I was just like, like, well, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to DM on Twitter and see if he, see if he says yes. <laughs> and he was so nice and wonderful. And we've, we've had a nice friendship since then. So, um, yeah, being able to like create a real life friend out of, uh, out of the podcast has been a, <laughs> a welcomed, um, a welcome change that I was not expecting. Are you wow. at the point now where, where dudes on your team will just be like, yo, when am I going to get the invite to the pod or no? No, guys, guys are baseball, (laughs) baseball players are like, even the ones who are super outgoing, they, they're measured. Like guys are, guys are very measured and they understand like, 
very few guys are tr- are trying to jump in front of cameras and and you know microphones and um you know you get, that's why that's why I kind of enjoy this cuz you do kind of have to pull them out pull it out of them a, a little bit uh, every once in a while but once they get on man like they got there's plenty to talk about and so it's been it's been a lot of fun I remember talking to Jeff Passan um and the stories about the story when he first met me and he thought I was a data analyst and not a baseball <laughs> player. Um, I mean, it's Damn. just, yeah, you learn some great stories. We just won, we just won the, uh, <laughs> the championship series in, in 2017. And I saw him in the, in the locker room and I was like, Hey man, I love your book. I read it. It's like, Oh, thanks. I appreciate it. And he turned on his guy. He's like, who's this fucking analyst that just <laughs> talking to me? Like that's Colin McHugh. He's like, who? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but um, yeah, we've we've had a good day. And yeah, we've me and him have become friends too, which has been a, a nice asset. Whenever I have questions like in the baseball world that I don't think yeah, I can ask what's anybody coming else, up next I'm like, Monday, you know? I'm like, Jeff, give me the down low. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, well, we we don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, you've been you've been very gracious already. Um, but we, uh, on this, on this podcast, Bobby and I do a lot of, as as he said, uh, kind of reacting just in real time, just verbally processing, uh, Mm. baseball in general. Um, and, you know, pondering about the future being like, is this thing going to exist in 15 years? What is the, what's the next CBA going to look like? Um, you said earlier that you've kind of been having these conversations already with with friends and family because you've you've had the more time than usual to think about this stuff. So I'm just we're kind of curious what's what's bouncing around in your head about about the state of the game. Where do you what are your feels on it when you're like when you're like oh baseball what would like what would I do as commissioner you know like <laughs> what is that th- those gut feelings that maybe don't bubble up every day on the pod. First of all, I do not want Rob's job. It is, <laughs> it seems so hard and miserable to me. Um, it, I, I hope he still likes baseball after being the commissioner, but like I can understand how it would be easy to, to get a little, um, a little tired of it. What's we, discussion we, we, about that? We wonder that occasionally. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I get. I mean, like I get it. It's not. It's a pretty thankless job on both sides. Like you're getting yelled at from the player side and from the owner side and from the fan side. <laughs> it's hard to do it well. Um, there's a lot of moving parts. I, I would say getting out of the way, if, if we could all just get out of the way of ourselves, it would be the best. Cause like I said earlier, like we have the most talent we've ever had in this game, um, is in the game now. And it's young. A lot of it is young talent, yeah, young, exciting talent. And so, you know, I, the, let the, the, let the boys play or let the kids play, uh, old mantra. I, as you know, f- say whatever you want about it. I was like, I think I'm on board with this. I think like I'm tired of the old rules. Like I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of over guys like playing, you know, playing out their toxic masculinity on, on the baseball field and, you know, having to yes. get really angry when something bad happens to them. I'm like, can, let's like enjoy it. Have fun. Like if a guy pimps a Homer or like throws a bat or does whatever, like great. I think this is awesome. Like at the end of the day, can we just all remember that we are entertainers? Like we, you are an entertainer at the end of the day. You, you yeah. want to be more than that. Do that off the field. But when you're on the field, you are entertaining people. And we have some extremely entertaining people in baseball right now. Like I will not, I will not turn off the TV when Ronald Cunha Jr. is at play at the plate. 
Absolutely. I won't do it. It doesn't matter what's happening. I'm like, it's once it's one second. Just give me one second. I don't care if he strikes out. I just want to see it. And there's guys like that across the league. And, um, you know, I don't want to limit it. I don't want to limit these guys and and make it to make the game less fun or or less accessible for them or for the you know, for the fans and for ki- for kids growing up. Uh, I'm a big uh, big proponent of of making youth baseball um, easier to play. I think across the board. Yeah. When I grew up, there were like 12 different leagues that I could play in, and all different types. And you know, I, as a I've got a five year almost five year old now, and I'm trying to look around for baseball leagues. And it's hard. It's hard to find. You know public rec leagues for, for kids to play in these days, even in big cities like Atlanta. So having, having the accessibility for young kids, I think is, should be a big initiative. And it is, I know for major league baseball, they're, they're doing a lot of work, um, kind of at the youth sector. And I think that's where we could have a lot of overlap with the union and with, with major league baseball, making sure that this next generation of kids sees that it's a fun game and has the opportunity to, to play it and practice it on a daily basis. Well, like Alex said, you've been so very generous with your time and we appreciate that very much. So I'll save my Mets free agent spiel to try to get you to come play for my squad <laughs> since I'm such a big fan. <laughs> You're the one that got away in the minor league system, but um, so I'll save you um, the horrors of that. Colin McHugh, thank you so much. 12-6 podcast, is there anything else that you want to plug or let people know um, to go check out? Yep, go check out uh, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock on January 5th in Georgia. They will Let's be on go. TV probably at some point in time. We'll see We'll see what happens. But um, <laughs> it's oh, been yeah. a blast, guys. I really appreciate you having me. Working nine to five. What a way to make a living. Barely getting by. It's all taking and no giving. Okay, Alex. That was a lot of fun. Colin McHugh. Good guy. Good hang. Confirmed. <laughs> Thanks so much to Colin McHugh. Um, the 12-6 podcast, it, it's it's really good. If you like this show, if you like hearing more about players' personalities, exactly what Colin was describing, getting into the, some of those stories and pulling the curtain back on what it's like to be a Major League Baseball player, it's the type of thing that we would just want more of. Like, we want to eat that up. I'm a fan. I'm a regular listener. And so um, I hope that people will check that out if they don't already listen to it. And... Um, I don't know. I don't have anything else to say, Alex. Do you? Anything else you want to leave the people with? I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna put something out there. Okay. Okay. You wait. 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 You don't like the DH anymore? Oh, this is great. Okay, <laughs> let's end the pod. Uh, the championship reservoir is about the water. If ownership gives a damn, Jed Hoyer has the wrench to control the valves. Whoa, Scott Boris quote. There it is. One and only. <laughs> it was only a matter of time. The off-season, the, the, the hot stove may be quiet, but Scott Boris is working overtime right now, churning out these metaphors. Everyone who's listening, your homework is to um, go read more Scott Boris quotes, number one. And number two, read the whole baseball CBA cover <laughs> to cover. <laughs> Thanks exactly. so much for listening to Tipping Pitches. If you like what you hear, check us out on Twitter, tipping underscore pitches tippingpitchespod at gmail.com if you want to reach us. Um, if you're new, subscribe. Go ahead and subscribe. Share it with a friend that you think might like this interview and other interviews like this. Um, we'll be doing a lot more stuff like this throughout the offseason. Uh, and we will talk to you next Monday. Hello, everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping Pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!